Good morning and welcome Grace Chapel family and friends. It's good to uh, thank you for joining us again. It's good to see you. That's kind of funny to say, but good to be together again. It's been very different. I hope you've had a good week. We've been praying for you. We're concerned for you all. We hope the, the Lord will let us get back together again very soon. Let's continue our studies in 1 Samuel today. And our sermon today this morning is Heaven's Silence. Silence can really be a very good thing. Uh, what does silence create? Silence makes room for us to listen. Silence gives us freedom to take time to observe and to be aware of what we're sensing, what we're feeling, what we're thinking. It gives us freedom to, to just to think. It creates space to broaden our awareness of all that's going on around us. Silence opens really doorways to peace. But most importantly, I think silence helps us to know how limited we are and really how unlimited and vast God is. Henry Nouwen observed this. One of the main problems, he said, with our chatty society is that silence has become a fearful thing. For most people, silence creates itchiness or nervousness. Ever been in a church service and the leader, worship leader or pastor says, let's take a moment to be quiet. And everyone gets restless. They get worried. And I know even what comes to my mind sometimes when I'm in the audience listening or sitting there and quiet, I say, how much longer is this going to go on? We, we get nervous in silence. We get preoccupied with something to do. But silence is really good. It's an attention getter. Ever been out in the woods and there's a breeze in the trees? I remember as a child being out about half a mile or more from home and suddenly there was a dead calm, the calm before the storm. The birds stopped singing, the, the branches in the trees stopped rattling, the leaves quit rustling, there was dead silence. And then we heard this distant rumble. We knew it was thunder. We knew it was time to head over the hills and the dells. We were a long way from home. We were pretty young kids. And we heard the rain coming as we looked over our shoulders. Yes, the calm before the storm. That's an eerie feeling. Or how about, have you ever been in the woods? Sleeping under the stars in your sleeping bag and the bugs are chirping. The, the crickets are making their noises. And then suddenly they stop. <laughs> it gets your attention especially when you've been telling creepy ghost stories or alien stories or Bigfoot stories with your friends. But what about when heaven's silent? Is God saying something, trying to get our attention when he's quiet? I'd like to turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 28. I want to read beginning at verse 3 of chapter 28 of 1 Samuel through verse 19. Let's listen to God's word together. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers, excuse me, necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and then encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw that the army of the, Philist the, Phil army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart great trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. 
So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he has spoken by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, we ask you to open up our hearts so that when you are silent, you get our attention so that we are ready to hear what you've had to say before. Guide us, we pray, for your honor and glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Saul's habitual disregard for God's word led him to this point, this low point. His refusal to obey the Lord led Saul to further and further walk away from God. He lost God's peace. He lost God's salvation. Saul actually shows what it means to to, uh, walk away from the Lord. He's a picture of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 reads like this, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Saul shows us what it means not to abide in Christ. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Saul's life became futile and fruitless because he had walked away from God. 
He had ignored God's word for years, and now God turned him over to his own desires, Saul's own desires, and Saul was now seeking help, but God refused to answer. Someone might ask, is, is God being unfair or mean to Saul? Well, when heaven's silent, God's trying to get our attention. In chapter 28 of, of 1 Samuel, uh, we see that Hannah's song in, in chapter 2, and you might want to take some time to look back over her song, her prayer song, uh, about, uh, and the themes that are in it. God wants us to see his truth and to walk in it. And those who humble themselves in faith before the Lord will be raised up by God. And those who refuse or resist God's rule in their lives, God's going to lead them to destruction. He's going to let them go on their own path. We choose. People choose. Tribes choose. Nations choose. Either to submit to God's sovereign rule and to share in the triumph of his victory, or we can fight against God through active resistance or even careless indifference and share in the wrath of God's victory rather than the joy of it. Like I had read before, Psalm 1 comes to life in 1 Samuel. The righteous live by faith, and, and David and Hannah and Samuel and Jonathan and Abigail are like trees planted by water. Their lives are not fruitless, and they do things that last for all eternity. It's based on their faith, not in their own righteous works. The wicked are people who just refuse God, turn away from God, go their own way. And Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are pictures of that. They refused God's word even though they heard it, and they became chaff driven by the wind to destruction. Nabal, likewise, did not listen to the voice of God, and he didn't treat his servant, God's servant David, well, and he became chaff. And Saul is headed down that pathway as well. What does it mean to have faith in God? It means that you believe God exists, that he's the creator, that he is powerful, and that you are weak and you need him. It means that you believe that you need a savior, and God sent Christ to be that savior. Jesus died for our sins. It means you believe that, that he covers over our sins. And since Jesus is raised to life, he promises to raise all who trust in him, who believe in him, who receive him, who depend on him, that they will be raised to life too. That's the good news of Christ. And by believing in that, we can have life everlasting. This is the end of Saul's reign in chapter 28. And Samuel's prophecy back in chapter 15 is coming true. You might remember Saul had disobeyed the Lord several times. And finally, God said, Samuel, I want you to appoint another king. And Samuel turned away and Saul grabbed onto his robe and that robe tore and, and Samuel turned to Saul, King Saul, and said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel is being torn out of your hands and it's going to be given to someone else, one of your neighbors. That prophecy had happened years before and now it's coming true. Chapter 28 is Saul's last night of life in this world. Chapters 29 and 30 go back to David, and then chapter 31, we're going to see Saul's final day. That's where we're at in the story. And the constant theme throughout it is this. Those who trust God Almighty will be cared for in this life and into eternity. And those who resist God, sovereign rule in their lives, they may prosper temporarily, but in the end, 
they will not have eternal life. What was God saying? God was silent, and it got Saul's attention, but unfortunately it got it too late. We read this in Hebrews. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And then in chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. It was declared by the Lord to us. We need to be careful to listen. God's words are well-written letter to us, and we need to be careful to know it, to dig out its treasures. My mind, my heart, is so easily distracted from God's things because of the cares of this world. So we need to be careful followers of Jesus to be constantly reminding one another of the gospel of Christ, the hope that we have in him, the power we have through his death and life for us, the, the life he gives us and how he walks with us. You can only blame boring sermons for so long for your spiritual well-being. You can only blame boring Bible studies so long. You can only blame other hypocrites. Notice I said other hypocrites for how they've hurt you and, and, and you don't want anything to do with God before the responsibility for your walk with God comes back into your own lap. Believers, be a disciple who helps other disciples hear the gospel regularly, to walk with God, to remember the grace that God gives us, the forgiveness we need, the strength we need, the hope we need. It's all found in Christ. Parents, be training up your children in the way they should go, and don't be overbearing. But be careful to live your life as consistently as you can by God's grace to live out what you say is what you believe. So you're not hypocritical. So you can help them walk through life with their God. Teens, middle school and high school students, the responsibility to know God's truth for your own life and to follow him in grateful obedience is becoming more and more your own responsibility. Sure, you need to depend on others to help you walk with the Lord, but you need to begin to take on that responsibility to watch over your own life and walk, but also to help others grow in their faith as well. Jesus said, come and follow me. Learn from me. He's inviting us to hear him speak to us in his word through what God has given us in the scriptures. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Turn back to the Lord. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What an invitation that God's saying, come into my presence. I want to sit down and eat a meal with you and just fellowship together. I want you to know me. I want you to know how much I love you and care for you. Come and join me. Hear my word. Think about it. Let's talk about it together. That's God's invitation to you and to me. Right now, the world's facing a problem that we haven't faced for over 100 years. And it's serious, and it's reached into our communities right around us. We're not used to such a threat. Have you thought about I'm sure you have. What is God saying to us? What's God saying to his people, his church? 
Have you cried out to God to just make it all go away and heaven seems to be silent? What is God saying to us, to the nations, to the world, to our nation? I think he's pointing us back to Jesus, the word, the living word that came. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. And all things were made through him and and without him nothing that was made would come into existence. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God wants us in this moment to hear Jesus. He may not be saying anything new. He doesn't need to. He's spoken to us, to the world through his son, and he wants to get our attention. Saul had been invited to abide with God. He had been given the spirit of God. He had had success when he obeyed. He had been given the word of God through many people, but he never embraced the Lord as his God, as his savior, as the one that he depended on. Saul's a living picture of life lived, refusing God's word, becoming chaff. God's grace and compassion are endless. But they do end for those who refuse to hear his word and to obey it. The prophet Amos talked about a famine, that God was going to send a famine on the land of Israel. And it wasn't a famine for food. But because of their disobedience and ignoring God's word, there was going to be a famine for the word of God. People were going to be hoping to hear a word from God. And there would be no word of hope, only a word of judgment. Real quickly, I just want to take a a look again back in 1 Samuel about this difficult passage with the witch of Endor. There's a variety of questions we need to address, and I just want to give you uh, just a quick look at my understanding of the passage. Here are some questions. Was that woman actually able to raise Samuel, a righteous man, from the dead? The dead speaking to the living? That would mean the powers of darkness would have power over saints in the grave. Is that a possibility? Was there just trickery in her craft, kind of like the smoke and mirrors, just a pretend event going on here? Was Samuel really brought back or was it a demon pretending to be Samuel so that uh, King Saul's troubled mind would even be messed with more and confused? Or did Samuel appear because of this woman's connections with the powers of darkness? Or was it God who was at work here? Well, here's my understanding. God was working here. We aren't given a lot of information, but I just recall that God brought Moses and Elijah back in the Mount of Transfiguration when, uh, with Jesus. And three disciples saw them and, and they, were, they recognized who they were. God could do that with Samuel, too, if he wanted to. It's not out of step with his sovereign, holy powers to do that. The woman here saw a vision. 
And Saul asked her to describe what she saw. So she was a medium. She was a go-between, but go-between. But she also screamed. And that's an indication that this woman was not experiencing something she normally did when she, she did this for other people. This was a God thing going on here because she was out of her usual way of doing things. She was uncomfortable. She screamed. God explains, doesn't explain a whole lot here because he doesn't want us to be involved in this kind of work at all. He wants us to avoid it. He prohibits witchcraft and mediums and fortune telling in the law and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And in Acts chapter 16, uh, the apostle Paul had a, a girl was following them when he was in Philippi. And as they were going from place to place of, of to prayer, places of prayer, they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us, Luke says, and these men are servants of the Most High God, she proclaimed. They are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. And finally, Paul, having been coming greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So why did Paul silence this girl who had this spirit of divination, this spirit of darkness? Why did Jesus quiet the demons when they shouted out, you're the son of God? And he said, be quiet. Because demons, false spirits, tell half-truths. They deceive people. They steer people away from God to other powers and sources. And that becomes idolatry because people put their hope in other powers rather than God. So... We see here that God chose to speak to Saul this last time using Samuel to remind him of what he had already said. What are some lessons for our lives in this story, this different story, interesting story, kind of a, a puzzling story in Samuel? The first main lesson, besides not having anything to do with witchcraft, which is a key lesson, is that it's perilous to disregard God. What got Saul to this point in his life of disobeying God, his own command, and going to a medium when he had removed them from the land? He was so desperate for a word from God that he was going to a place of darkness to try and hear something. How did Saul get there? Well, mostly we get there when we walk away from God. It's not by an explosion, but it's by erosion in our life. Just little steps away from God, and that's what had happened in Saul's life. The sin of pride had stopped him from turning from his faithlessness. He loved his position and his power as king and was unwilling to release it to God who gave it to him in the first place. He became a murderer and abused his power. And he looked to unbelievers like Doeg, who, who slaughtered the priest, and the Ziphites to help him. And they were just leading him away from God. And as Saul stepped away from God, God moved away from Saul. Why was God silent? Because God had already spoken. And Samuel repeated the same message to Saul. During the flood, we believe there were 120 years before the flood came and Noah's message to the world, God's message to the world through Noah was the same for those 120 years. And yet people were surprised when the ark door was shut and the flood came. 
And Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, people will be taken away in surprise at the, his judgment when he returns. Why? Because they haven't heard the word of God. They haven't been listening. God is still speaking. And don't mistake his silence or his delay as weakness or that he's not there at all, that he doesn't exist. No, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Our advances in medicine and healthcare and technology are gifts from God. And they are wonderful gifts. People that God's given us that have that pursue the knowledge to understand sicknesses and diseases to help us. It's all gifts to humanity and they all come from God's hand. What a blessing to have all these medicines and surgeries and treatments. But ultimately, science and medicine are not God. They can't save us. God alone's the author of life. He's the giver and remover of life. So we need to entrust ourselves into his care. If there's anything we need to remember in this time at this, with the coronavirus, it's that God is the giver of life and entrust yourself into the, his hands. A second lesson, important lesson, is the lasting influence of a godly life. Saul had been living for years and years, rebelling against God's commands and Samuel's character and faithfulness still drew Saul back to God. When all else was failing, Saul reached out again to Samuel in an ill-advised way, but he was searching for help because of Saul, because of Samuel's faith and his faithfulness. So people of God, do not think, do not think that your life and your words are ever wasted when you're using them for God trying to striving to live for God. Yes, we're weak. We fail. But when we speak God's word, when we live it out as best we can in obedience to him, people will remember your faith and your faithfulness. But the word of God is not bound, Paul wrote. <laughs> he was in prison when he wrote that. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those who will come to believe in God, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ. So be faithful. A life lived striving to follow, follow the Lord's word through faith and to be good and living out his grace will bear eternal fruit because the word of God is not bound even when we can't be together like we'd like to be or around unbelievers and other people out there who aren't sure God is there. God's word is working. God was not answering Saul. And when heaven is silent, what God's telling us is that he wants us to review what he's already said, what he's already spoken to us. Now, God's commands before this virus haven't changed and they won't be any different after it's passed on. God's words are to believe in Christ, to love one another, to be kind to all people, but especially your brothers and sisters. We're commanded to go and make disciples. Were we not listening before? Are we listening now? Does God have any, does God have my attention now? God wasn't answering Saul because his ears were shut. Are my ears shut? 
Saul's heart was hardened to the truth. Is my heart hardened to God's truth about life, about sin, about death, and about how I can be rescued from eternal death? Maybe indifference or spiritual laziness, you know, the old dusty Bible, <laughs> are keeping us from hearing God. Saul and others weren't listening, but we don't need to be that way. What is God telling the world right now? Listen to my son. Listen to Jesus Christ. And how will our current situation make a difference in how I live in my house this week? Cooped up there. If I have to go to work, and many of you still are out there, thank you, medical people, and all of you people who are doing vital work for us. How is it going to change how I pray? And how will, it, how will my life be changed after this coronavirus event is over? Will it change my efforts in telling the gospel? How will it change the time I spend with other Christians? How will it change how I spend my time with unbelievers? Will we dare go back to the way we were, or is God trying to push us in new directions with stronger faith? And will we listen? Be still and know that I am God. I love this old hymn. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our God, while life shall last, and our eternal home. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask you to be our home, that we would fully entrust ourselves to you, Lord, your word is true. Help us to hear it, to believe it and act on it so that we can become living trees that would bring refreshment to others, shade for others. Lord God, be with us and guide us and help us. Keep us well, we pray, until we can be together again soon, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God has spoken to us through Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus said. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not be afraid. And I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. May that be so in your life this week as you lean on Christ. Amen. God bless.